Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The Greenville Oaks Church of Christ seeks all who need Jesus and together are becoming His fully devoted followers, encouraging and equipping people to love God, love people, and serve others in an ever-growing way of life. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with student minister Wes Raspberry. Yeah, like Christopher said, um, we are excited to have a guest speaker with us this morning. We're actually going to have guest speakers over the course of the next eight weeks. Um, and today and next week, uh, we get to have Randy Harris with us. Um, I'm going to invite Randy to, to make his way onto the stage. Um, while he's doing so, let me read you a little bit about uh, who Randy is. Randy is a senior consultant and university fellow with the Cyber Institute for Church Ministry at Abilene Christian University. Additionally, Randy serves as a preacher, a spiritual director, and has founded the Contemplative Ministers Initiative and the Looking Team. Um, Additionally, Randy served as my uh, freshman Bible teacher uh, for my whole freshman year, uh, and as well as a class in in my senior year at ACU. Uh, And Randy forced me to memorize the Sermon on the Mount, uh, but I'm I'm actually really grateful for that. Uh, I I may not have been the top student in his class, uh, but I do remember Randy explaining and describing uh, the scriptures and and the gospel and and the life of Jesus in a way that I hadn't really heard before. Um, I also remember him calling one of our fellow students who decided to sleep in one morning and skip class. That was a great memory. In all seriousness, no, in all seriousness though, uh, Randy remains to this day uh, a, a mentor of mine in Christian faith and spirituality uh, and in ministry and a good friend. Uh, so I'm excited that he's with us this morning and uh, next Sunday, and I hope that his message uh, will bless you and your life as He's been a blessing for me in my life. Uh, Let me pray over Randy. God, thank you for a time to gather this morning, uh, to come together and uh, to worship your your holy name. God, I'm thankful for Randy and the gift that he's been to me in my life, uh, the the gift of teaching and preaching that you've given him. Uh, God, I pray this morning that you pour through him the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts, in our minds, and in our lives today and this week. I pray all this in your son's name. Amen. Oh, yeah, that calling students. That was one of my favorite things. What I would do when we were gathered for class, if there was uh, somebody absent, I I would ask their friends, "Anybody, anybody not here you want me to call? And they would give me their phone so they thought it was their friend, and I would be on the other end. And uh, I'd say, we're, we're, we're waiting for you. Are you on your way? And, uh, you know, of course, it was on speakerphone, and there is. It, it was great fun. Do uh, you have anybody you want me to call now? You might, might have some fun. Um, uh, Wes did mention the most important part of my resume at the moment, which is I'm retired. Um, and I highly recommend it. Uh, I, I retired for a variety of reasons. One, that my skills were clearly going down. Um, In my philosophy class one day, I gave a 10-minute impromptu lecture on a philosopher and never thought of his name. I I had to come back the next period and say, that guy, this is who I was talking about. Um, That was a sign. Um, And the technology was obviously quickly passing uh, 
be by, and this is one of the few lessons in which I ever teach where I'm going to show you a couple of images. Uh, but uh, don't count on it next week. Uh, I'm retired. Uh, one of the things that uh, has happened as I've gotten older is the list of things I care about has gotten smaller and smaller. And as I reflect back now on my preaching career, I think I wish I had preached more on fewer things. I wish I'd preached the gospel over and over and over again. I wish I'd preached the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and And now if you hear me preach, that's probably what you're going to hear in the next two weeks. I'm going to try to tell you the whole gospel in two weeks. Today, the cross of Christ, and next week, uh, the resurrection. Uh, I tell young preachers, and including your own, that a preacher should always be on a spiritual quest. Not a ministry quest, a spiritual quest. There should always be something about your relationship with God that you want to deepen, that you want to explore, that you want to know what happens when you push it down one more level. You always need to be on a quest because that's what you're calling the people you're preaching to, to do, to explore the reality of a world in which God is present. And for the last several years, my quest has been to more deeply understand the passion of Christ, the death of Christ. Because the spiritual masters that I read and admire clearly understood it at a more visceral level than I did. I understood it at a head level, but they kind of understood it as a gut level. Um, The most obvious example of that is uh, Francis of Assisi, who at the end of his life, the stigmata, the, the marks, the wounds of Jesus appeared on his own hands and feet. I know that sounds crazy, but that's the best attested miracle outside of the Bible in Christian history. I just want you to know that. Well, I was pretty sure I didn't want to understand it that deeply. Um, but I did want to know. I wanted to know what they knew that I didn't. Let me explain it another way. Um, my, my, my thumb is a little red and sore, but a few days ago, it was twice the size that you currently see. Um, I, I was in Utah uh, doing a wedding, of all things, and uh, I got a hangnail. And you know how it is traveling on airplanes these days. You really can't carry clippers with you. And so it was a very painful hangnail. I I didn't know what to do with it. So I I did what any boy from Arkansas would do. I bit it off. And it turns out there are germs in my mouth. I do not know how they got there. I didn't eat them. But they were there. And my thumb got infected and swole up, and it clearly wasn't getting any better. So I said, okay, go see my doctor. And he says, you're not going to like this. And I said, what are we going to do? And he says, I've got to stick a needle in there and, and get rid of that uh, pus. And I said, but he said, it's going to feel a lot better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And I knew that's what he was going to do, and I went in, but somehow hearing it from him made it worse. Um, 
I said, okay, I'm going to look the other way. So I look the other way, and he sticks that needle in there. It actually doesn't hurt quite as bad as I thought it would. It hurt. You know, you can imagine that swollen up there. And he says, all right, turn around and look. And I look, and there is this wad of pus about the size of my fist. No, that's not true. It's about the size of the end of my thumb. Big. Uh, Now, uh, I could have just told you I had an infected thumb. And you would have understood that with your head. You would have said, oh, yeah. Now you understand it viscerally. Just looking at my thumb, you see pus. Uh, And it creates all sorts of feelings. And these writers had these feelings about the passion of Christ that I clearly didn't have. So uh, I... I've lived my whole word with my whole life with words, as you can see now. And so I went to my friend Dan McGregor, art teacher there, and I said, maybe, maybe art is a way in. Can you give me some good passion art to look at? Um, and he did. Uh, one of the pictures is this one. It's called Agnus Day. It's a lovely uh, painting. You might want to look it up later so you get a little closer to it. But even from that distance, There's something about those sad, pathetic eyes that gets me. It's hard to express how much emotion gets gets sort of conveyed by that. Um, And that one kind of got me interested and drove me back to words. I thought, okay, why, why, why... What's the deal with Lamb of God in Scripture? So I went first, of course, where those of you who are Bible study wonks would think I went. I went to Isaiah 53, where Isaiah describing this suffering servant says, among other things, he had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crucified for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray, each has his turn to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shearers is silent, So he did not open his mouth. Um, This passage clearly meant a great deal to the author of the book of John. You remember in John chapter 1, two times within a few verses, verse 29, verse 36, John the Baptist introduces Jesus, and who does he say he is? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so, okay, I 
get that. I got that concept in my head. Somehow Jesus is a sacrificial lamb, but to put it bluntly, there's no pus in my understanding. I got it with my head. But the fact of the matter is that blood sacrifice has been no part of my world. I didn't even grow up in a hunting household. I've never killed a mammal unless you count a mouse. Now that was a drone strike. (laughs) Blood sacrifice, I have no idea what this means. Even though people all over the world and even today do it every day. And I was sort of whining about this to one of my New Testament colleagues. And he says, well, you could try to learn something, essentially. Why don't you quit talking about it and do what any good academic would do? Go find out. So I called a friend who had a farm. And uh, he's kind of one of those new breed of people who thinks that if you put meat on your table, you should know where it came from. You need to know something had to die. And so every all the meat that his family put on the table would be things that he raised and killed or hunted. And I said, I would like to buy a lamb Put it on your land, and when the time comes, come and kill it. And he's a Christian guy, and I explained to him what that, what that sort of meant to me, and he said, sure, we can do that. And so I bought a lamb. Now, I did not buy a lamb without blemish, which it turns out is beyond my financial capacity. I bought this lamb, very blemished, um, you know, white, white, black. He's got, he's got a little brown mange going down his back of his neck. You can't see that. He's definitely not a lamb without blemish. However, he is very good at doing the lamb thing. He's cute. And um, I knew that uh, my lamb need to have a name. Um, Jesus seemed far too literal. And so I named him Jesse. And Jesse wasn't very popular with the other lambs and goats. And he was skittish. Wouldn't really let me get very close to him at all. And he was just sort of an unpopular lamb. I don't know what, maybe it's a black brown mange going down his back. I don't know. Um, my, my host son uh, could talk to Jesse. He would say, bah, and Jesse would say, bah, back. They were on speaking terms, but the lamb wouldn't do, have much to do with me. And so I went out a couple of times afterwards to pray over my lamb, uh, Jesse. Um, not 
I'm quite ready to share uh, those prayers at this time, but uh, then uh, the time had come. So I got my friend Dan, the artist, and I went out to the farm to kill Jesse, my lamb. And I talked to my friend about how he uh, killed his animals out there, and he says, well, I shoot them. And I said, okay, you know, I, you know most humane way, I get that, but I'm going to have to get closer to it than that. And he said, well, there's a Middle Eastern guy out here who does kind of Hallel uh, killing with a with a knife. Let me talk to him. So he did, and I show up there, and uh, nothing's really happening. And I, I realize finally that he's waiting for me to say, uh, I'm ready. And so finally I say, I'm ready. And he says, okay, now, uh, the main thing is, you know, you're gonna you're gonna lean on his on, on his back between your legs. You're gonna lift his head. You bring the knife across the throat. They said your instinct is gonna be when you start cutting to stop. The blood spurts out. But don't do that. Just keep cutting deeply and across. And I said, okay. I'm not gonna show you a picture of that. Relax. Um, here's the picture just before. And um, I know um, this is going to be a little hard to believe, but at this point, I'm more or less froze. Jesse was offering no resistance. Uh, Jesse wasn't saying a word like a lamb to the slaughter. But I'm now filled with apprehension that I will botch it. It's a living creature. I don't want to bollocks this up. And so I turned to my host and I said, you want to guide my hand? And he said one word, no. And I don't know what that no meant. It could be no, because I've never killed a lamb like this either. You're on your own. Or more likely, it, it, by the way, he had a gun sitting there. He was ready if I botched the job. But I think it was the no that said, this is going to be on you. This is going to be completely on you. And so I cut deep, and I didn't stop, blood spurting out. I've never killed a mammal. I don't know what's going to happen. Jesse gets up. I panicked. He walks two or three feet and falls. Um, part of the disconcerting part is I, I, I had been out to my grandparents' farm long ago when they were killing chickens, and I'd seen chickens have their heads cut off and run around, but I, I didn't know there would be this involuntary muscular activity where the lamb's legs are moving, but there's he's pretty much dead. So I kneel, I put my hand on Jesse so I can feel his last breaths. And I want to talk to him. 
I want to say I'm sorry. I want to say I hope I did that right. But most of all, I want to say I'm going to sit here with you till you die. So you don't die alone. But I'm not like three-year-old Abe. And I don't know how to say bah. So Jesse dies alone. I'm now standing. I've started to weep. Dan comes and puts his arm on my back. Before he had uh, done this picture, uh, while this was going on, uh, that is Jesse's blood over in the left corner, the knife and the way the lamb looked. Dan puts his arm on my back. I feel my host put his hand on my back. And I have such wise friends, they say, nothing. Nothing is almost always the right thing to say. We're standing there for a time, and my host disappears. And when he comes back, he's got a thermos. And he says, you look like you could use a drink. And I said, truer words were never spoken. So he gives me the thermos, and I take a drink, and I don't know what it is. I'm, I'm proud not to be able to identify my liquors. It wasn't Kool-Aid. Um, I pass it to Dan, and he takes a drink, and he passes it to my host, and he takes a drink, and now I'm just struck by we're, we're sharing this cup while we stand around this slaughtered lamb. I'm not recommending you do that. Some of you have. Those of you a certain age, like I said, people all over the world do that all the time. But it was the right thing for a preacher who spoke too much and felt too little. Because now, whenever I sit in a worship service, the mere mention of the Lamb of God or the blood of Jesus creates this whole rush of emotion that I haven't felt in years. Now it's not just words. It's pus. It's real. It's visceral. Uh, Dan also pointed me towards this uh, piece of art, which I greatly admire This is a Russian artist, Nikolai Gay, The Crucifixion. And as I look, it's a a little dark and you're a little far uh, away. It's not entirely historically accurate. The nails in this picture are going through Jesus' Achilles tendons, which is probably not the way it was done. Uh, but, But the contorted body, the clear agony of Jesus, the fact that his cross is not any higher than any of the other crosses and You can't see it very well from where you are, but there's a shadowy figure walking away, and we don't know quite what that figure is doing, but he's probably the crucifier, and for him, this is just another day in the office. 
This crucifixion's happened. And this is one I kind of keep on my my desktop because I want to keep it real. Now, if all of this strikes you as uh, a little sad, it does me too, but every great sad story is a love story. And when I think about the king of the universe, the ruler of the world, who was willing to be a helpless lamb, going to the slaughter, not uttering a word, just allowing himself to be killed, I am overwhelmed with this wave of emotion. Um, I'm telling you, I have done a lot worse things in my life than kill Jesse. Jesse was going to die anyway. Uh, I've done all sorts of things that were in denial of of, uh, my sonship to God and my brotherhood with Jesus Christ. The failures are so enormous. But this act... I feel the blood on my hands, and it is not bad to feel guilty when you are. Not shame, but guilt. And I am ever guilty, ever forgiven. And now... Every Sunday, no matter how bad the sermon is, and some of them are pretty bad because I preach them. All it takes is a mention of the blood of Christ or the Lamb of God or even taking the styrofoam communion as we just did. That makes me fall in love with God all over again. I think I get it here now. But I just told you half the story. I have to tell you the other half of the story next week because do you know what book of the Bible the words Lamb of God appears in most often? Revelation. The Lamb of God is all over Revelation. And the the slaughtered lamb, that's just the beginning of the story. This lamb is also going to conquer the world. Uh, But that's another story. Uh, Would you stand? Uh, I have... uh, for decades now, tried to close out every sermon or lesson uh, that I teach uh, with a blessing. Uh, It's a combination of some Hebrew Bible passage, uh, the book of Jude, and an old monastic blessing. It's got everything in it. And um, it turns out that people don't remember any of the sermons that I preach, which is a shame because they're most memorable. Uh, when I see them, what they most often mention is the blessing. And uh, I I think I get it. The people of God need to be preached to, but what they need more than anything else is to come under the blessing of God. 
And so I do. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. To him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory and majesty, dominion and power through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore, world without end. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Connect with us on Instagram. You can find and follow us there at Greenville Oaks. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.